Welcome to our July edition of the Cinetopia podcast and radio show. I'm Amanda, founder of Cinetopia, and I'm here with my uh, co-producer, Jim Ross. He's back this month. How are you, Jim? I am. I am. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I've been going to the cinema a few times now, um, and I'll probably try and go a few more times before the mental uh, lifting restrictions comes in and I feel <laughs> unsafe to go again, so I'll probably back a few more in. But yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank good. you. Good. And you're watching a lot of Euros at the same time. I think we're uh, as well. Yeah, with too much of it featuring England for my liking, but you know, I just got to deal with it. Suck up. Well, we'll see. By the time we 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 uh this this airs, we'll we'll know we'll know the fate of that. Um, but you know, uh, as I always say, Hurricane is one of our own, one of my own, <laughs> as a Spurs fan. Um, anyway, uh, and we're here with Betty Stoinich, who is we haven't been you haven't been here on on our show for about a year now. So welcome back, Betty. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Uh, even though uh, we had a pretty long hiatus. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the last time I was on was when I reviewed IFFR, oh, yeah. which was, it was in February, but that was, um, I did that recording independently. So this is the first time in a while that I'm talking to you guys live and it's it's really nice. I, I missed you. I actually think this this lineup, the three of us here, actually, I'm pretty sure that's the last show we did in the EHFM studio. It is. Yeah. It's the, it yeah. was the. I think it was the three of us. Yeah. I can't remember if Carice was there, but it, it was such a somber, scary um, yeah. day. Oh my God! Yes, I remember. That was the atmosphere that day was really tense and kind of <laughs> just I don't know, a bit terrifying. Like yeah. in general, the, the beginning of the pandemic was just completely anxiety-inducing. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I feel we like didn't we're even know what there. to expect. Yeah. But true, true memories. Um, not the most fond memories, but yes, yeah. we, we we got through it. To, we got through it together. Yes. Um, so, on this show, we are going to review three films: um, Martin Eden, which is directed by Pietro Marcello, um, and is currently out in cinemas across the UK; um, Deer Skin, directed by Quentin Dupieux, um, which came out on the 16th, which was last Friday. And Riders of Justice, which will be out. Um, it's Anders Thomas Jensen, who's the director of that, and it will be out on the 23rd of July. So that is our show. Except, and in addition, actually, um, Jim had sat down with Ben Chirac and Amir Al-Mazri from the new Scottish film Limbo. We had reviewed it as part of our Glasgow Film Festival special, but it's coming out in theaters across the UK on the 30th of July. So we'll take a listen to their interview as well. So in Cinetopia news, we finally launched our Cinescapes um, outdoor screenings. We started in um, we started in Leith, uh, our home, um, in on the fourth um, of July. Sort of amusing independence for the American, you know, Independence Day—a very Scottish start. Um, we um, were also 
running the next one on the 31st of July, and that's in Glasgow under the skin. So we're well on our tour. We're very excited. And um, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking forward. So check out sinscapes.co.uk to get tickets for under the skin, and then we'll be announcing the other ones going forward. So was the train spotting one? Well, it was, it, we, we, we like to say that it started out with a thunderous bang <laughs> because literally the second the, we, we had you and Brumner give a, a message to say, you know, leaf, you know, this is a leaf film and whatnot. And literally the second, it was like stage managed thunder, <laughs> like the, the opening iconic scene goes and then the heavens drop. I said, enjoy the film and it goes. And I mean, I'm telling you guys, I, I mean, Jim, you know, you were at Cinema on the Shore um, and that was quite yeah. a rainy, rainy, rainy one. So that was bad. But this one, I think somebody like our, one of our volunteers, Charles, had mentioned that I think two thirds of the rainfall in Scotland in July happened yeah. within the first hour of our screening so it was yeah because it was around about the same time like people were standing on standing on the benches at bus stops to avoid getting their ankles wet and all this yeah (laughs) we got some great press for this event um and we you know the nice thing is that our audience stayed through everything so it you know it was a it was a refuge from the disasters that were happening across Edinburgh at that at that moment. Um, But you know uh, ultimately we you know we showed both train spotting one and T2 and by the end of the by by T two, we you know the 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 um the weather had calmed down, and it was quite a nice you know um, balmy evening, and it was it was really lovely. So, you know, all in all, we got through it. But I don't know who I've really annoyed. I you know in uh, up there or, or wherever. I think you know I I might be notoriously known for um, very very <laughs> rainy, thunderous like deluge outdoor cinema it's okay, uh, it's okay lead into the next event just like you know just give out free cagoules with the it's tickets like aliens, that's so <laughs> gonna happen there um but yeah it's it's always an adventure when you come to a uh cinescapes or uh amanda cinetopia run outdoor cinema show so you know take the risk if you if you so choose So Martin Eden is a 2019 Italian-French co-production directed by Pietro Marcello with uh, Luca Marinelli in the the lead role as Martin Eden, uh, the titular character, uh, who is, you know, I think best described as a sort of tortured artist archetype who goes from rags to riches in his process to become a famous writer. Uh, The film was adapted from the Jack London novel of the same name um, that was published in 1909. Um, It, I think, one of the, you know, most interesting characteristics of this film is that it's, you know, it's very visually lush. um, And it sort of plays this um, tortured artist melodrama quite straight. Um, So, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that you said very lush. I mean, because I wrote down the word sumptuous and I couldn't, I, I would just, I like, I couldn't say that I, I mean, there's no way I couldn't love this film because it's gorgeous. I mean, the 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 color palette, it feels like a 60s 
Antonioni or Jean-Pierre Melville film that you're just watching. And it was something I would just like project on my wall, you know, and just look at over and over and over again. And the the main character um, played by, I think, Luca Marianelli or something like that is, you know, is, is a very attractive, um, you know, like Alain Delon kind of character as well. So it's just, there's some sort of mystique about this uh, period piece that has been done and including all this archive footage. I mean, I think they keep going back to these kids dancing in an arcade in the eighties and I'm not sure why, but like, and how that, <laughs> you know, completely is relevant to the film, but like the actual beauty of the film is just, it's just, I want to be in all those shots. I want to live and exist in those shots, you know? So, so you can't, I can't not love that aspect of it. I have to say though, that you know, I have I haven't read Jack London's, you know, like the source material, but I I I have an impression, though, that there's there's a far more intensity and deepness to that to that, you know, to that novel than I felt like I got out of the story itself, you know, and 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 the way that the way that this was adapted. But that that maybe comes from the fact that I don't know the material very well, but I can assume that it, you know, that there's more to it than I felt like, uh, other than the, just the visuals and the sound that made this like just a, a visual feast for me. I think um, so. You're you're feeling there. I I think there's something to it. Um, I I really like this film. I I, I enjoyed it a, a, a huge amount both for its um its content as well as how it looks. And you've both spoken very eloquently about how it looks, and it looks incredible. Um, you know, I think it's a very it's a very beautiful film. I think what's interesting now I'm not familiar with the the source novel myself, but I think what's interesting about the the film and how it presents the story of Martin Eden, who you know, I mean, he starts out the film as a sort of a un uneducated, um, very working class uh, fisherman. He falls basically in love with this kind of aristocratic woman. And he goes on to, you know, educate himself and become a successful writer, right? And that's kind of his struggle through the film. And eventually he attains his success and it seems to feel a bit a bit empty. But what's interesting about the film is it's, it, it, it's not really anchored in a particular time period. Now, the, like, the novel came out in, what did you say, Betty, was it 1909? Yes, 1909. And, you know, there's definitely echoes of that in the presentation. But then when you look at other things like some of the some of the archive footage, which I believe is staged archive footage, actually, but um, the the stuff that's meant to be archive footage and even some of the dress and kind of some of the political stuff which is in there, because he speaks at a few rallies and things like this and gatherings. It's not really it's not really in one particular place, right? It, it, it has the appearance and also the political concerns of a variety of different periods, which makes it very hard to... To place, and I I do wonder if that maybe speaks a little bit, um, Amanda, to your feeling that maybe the source material is more powerful. I don't know. Maybe that has diluted what it's wanting to comment on a little bit. I think there's an ar- an argument there. Um, for me, I I enjoyed it a huge amount. I think Luca Marinelli as Martin Eden is superb. I think he's he, I think he's fantastic. It's a really, really great performance, and I think it reminded me of um a couple of different films in particular and two that i'm very fond of um so that kind of like making it a drift in time place actually remind me a little bit of christian petzold's transit actually a little bit of that i had that same sort of you know that lack of ability place i had that feeling to it but actually the other thing it kind of reminded me of a little bit was um actually there will be blood 
um, in the sense that, like, you know, the, the, this this craving for success, and then the way that it kind of like you get there, and it's both a corrupting influence, and it kind of feels a bit empty, you know, like the Martin has surpassed the level of education of those that previously he tried to impress, and it doesn't seem to, it doesn't do anything. He's become embittered, you know, and. I think some of the political stuff around the edges about, you know, collectivism versus individualism is is an interesting angle as well. I think it all comes together really well for me. I do take your point about maybe it lacking some impact, and I think maybe that is probably related to a lack of a specific period that you can extrapolate from, right? Because it is adrift at that time and place. I don't know, maybe that's, that's part of it. But in general, in general, I got a lot out of it. As far as like my uh, my experience of the film goes, um, I mostly share Amanda's sentiment. I think I even enjoyed it less than Amanda did in the sense that I felt like the performances were incredible and it was obviously visually extremely impactful. And I'm gonna talk uh, in a bit more detail about that, but um, I felt like the writing was a bit lacking. I felt like the writing was, um, you know, I, I feel like this story is a very common one, like the rags to riches tortured artist uh, tropes that I mentioned before. And I felt like these tropes were played very straight without a lot of, you know, creative liberties taken, you know, in the sense that it reminded me of um, ac- the thing that it reminded me the most of actually was Derek Jarman's Caravaggio, if you guys if you guys have seen that film down to the fact that in Caravaggio like there are so many anachronistic elements in that film like um you know it 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 transcends time periods in in the set design and and in the costumes and everything um but in Caravaggio this is a very conspicuous stylistic decision whereas here I felt like it was more confusing than anything um, in the sense that it was very hard to sort of discern, um, like just just from the way that the costumes were designed as well, um, that they were very kind of all over the place in terms of uh, period fashion, I think. Um, but, you, you know, I, I don't know if, like it's not, it, it wasn't like to the hu- to huge detriment to the film, but I did find it more confusing than, than, um, than I felt that it sort of, um, contributed to the story. Uh, the story, like I said, being kind of, I don't know, I, f- I feel like they could have experimented a bit more with it. I haven't read the source material either, so I can't really speak to how much Jack London ex- like experimented with this idea, but, you know, I think just by virtue of it being the, um, you know, the early 20th century, I think these ideas were probably a bit more fresh than they are now. Um, you know, like we have a lot of sort of artistic tragedies. Um, you know, I think maybe Amadeus being one of the biggest ones, one of the most mainstream ones of, you know, a, of an artist, you know, sort of being like vaguely despondent for some reason and then dying. You know, I feel, I feel like that's... Um, you know, I, I feel like that's a that's a line of character development that I've seen a lot of times before, and I simply just didn't see anything, you know, I don't think the film has to be revolutionary or anything, but I didn't see anything especially fresh with that idea in this film. Uh, that being said, um, what 
visually, I think what makes it um, stand out as much as it does is the fact that it's shot on 16 millimeter. Um, no, I read an interview with, with the director and 16 millimeter was apparently a choice that they made for budgetary reasons. They couldn't afford 35 millimeter, but what I really liked about the fact that they use 16 millimeters, well, firstly, that, um, uh, firstly, that it, is a conspicuous use of film, uh, so it doesn't. It's not masked by anything. You can tell that it's that it's that it's all shot on film, but in a way that isn't like other sixteen millimeter films, such as uh, Bait or or the Souvenir. In most of the Souvenir, I think is in sixteen millimeter. Sixteen millimeter. Um, unlike those films, you don't get a lo-fi feel from the sixteen millimeter. Uh, it's actually quite the opposite. It's you know, I don't know if the, if the gradient was done in post or how they how they did it, but it actually looks um, very visually impressive. It it looks like you know, um, like they they like they made the they sort of um, it's it's like they took all of the best aspects of it that they could instead of going for a an like a sort of typical um retro analog look or whatever it, it actually looks like maybe an older film but an older film that was um that was very high production value yeah i, I must admit i i was actually kind of surprised because you can tell from watching it that it it, it it was shot on film right so but i i will confess i was actually kind of surprised to find out it was 16 millimeter um you know because it's like you say when it, when i think of something being shot on 16 millimeter i think of that slightly slightly lo-fi you know slightly more kind of. more grainy look whereas this has this kind of looks and feels like to me like a an older film which was shot on higher quality film stock if that makes sense um so yeah no that really struck me about the film as well yeah i yeah. didn't even know it was on 60 millimeter but i mean that totally makes sense because i just i think now if i ever if i ever direct a fiction narrative film it's going on 60 millimeter it's going to look like this it's really it really is like you said, just very professionally done, you know, and it's just stunning. It's stunning. Mm -hmm. And you knew it was on film, but that's an really interesting point and probably explains why I was just so captivated from the very beginning. But the shots are just, everyone is like a, a photograph, a picture, you know, a portrait. I mean, everything, you know, and, and I do really love the costuming. I, I didn't know where it was, it was set. And I kept trying to figure it out. So now it makes sense because I, I just was like, the costuming was messing me up. But then the cars were like 60s. And then, yeah. you know, like I said, I just felt this. And there was these French music from the 60s. So I was just, it was in Jean-Pierre Melville's like world at that moment. Like I just kept being like, un fleek, un fleek, you know, like so, but I'm in Italy. If I could have a word about, about the poli political aspects of the film for yep. a bit. Um, it's so apparently, uh, so, the the main character Martin Eden um, is very he's a huge proponent proponent of individualism and he reads a lot of Herbert Spencer who was a who is a, who I think is most famous for his theories on social Darwinism um, so it's a very uh, sort of doggy dog um, survival of the fittest kind of philosophy. Um, and apparently Jack London on one occasion said that uh, regarding the the novel that um it was actually meant to be a uh, a critique of individualism but that the, the those who reviewed it didn't really pick up on, pick up on this um so i would like to not make the same mistake and just assume that you know with with martin Eden that in the film that 
it is an endorsement of these ideas necessarily. Um, but I don't feel like that was explored as much as it maybe could have been. You know, it just kind of felt like um, the the individualism that Martin Eden, Eden talks about. I feel like uh, one of the one of the threads there is that it kind of sort of brings him to his downfall a little bit. Um, but you know, it's also hard to it's it's also hard to fully comprehend the 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 way that that actually contributes to the character himself sometimes um in in the sense that you know is it him against the world is it him against himself which aspect of these which of these two conflicts um are are sort of the central conflict of the film i feel like that could have been uh handled a bit more maybe explicitly um rather than you know like i feel like a lot of time is sort of maybe wasted on these slight little episodic digressions with with the archive footage and everything and a lot of the ideas are sort of left a little bit underdeveloped even though the ideas themselves are very interesting it's it's interesting that you that you you bring up the politics of it because i i only i read a little bit about the novel afterwards and, and saw that thing you'd said about uh, jack london about people kind of missing the the critique of this individualist philosophy but the thing about the film that kind of stood out to me a little bit more was kind of hypocrisy across different classes um right because because one of the one of the main things certainly in the in the initial stages of the film is um so he basically starts to fall for elena orsini right and this is an aristocratic family they're very well off and they basically don't very view him very favorably and he talks about going back to school and there's just these all these threads that go through about how it basically becomes apparent that they are they're not really cultured they're not really superior they have the illusion of it right and uh, there were a few lines that kind of like stick out to me now like he goes back to kind of i I think it's to be assessed like where he'd be placed back into the school system because he left in primary and he's told you lack in general culture you know and stuff like that but then when he starts writing the critique of his writing by elena is not to do with um you know maybe how technically good it is it's she finds it ugly. She finds the things he's writing about, like poverty and kind of um, struggles below her social class, she finds it basically too real. She doesn't really seem to like reading about it, and he takes her to see it. She doesn't like seeing it either. And, you know, and then he'll go and talk about, you know, he'll stand up at rallies and talk about, like, socialists who are afraid of socialism and things like this. And it's just, I, I, that, that aspect of it, I found it find it interesting and i think maybe it placed a little bit more emphasis on that because the individualist stuff does come through but it, it felt like to me kind of a almost like a reaction to the hypocrisy within different collectives if you're talking about collectivism I, it, it, it was it was interesting i find, whether it whether it comes together as coherently as it maybe could i don't know um yeah. but i found but I, I certainly found it quite interesting i think that's the exact point that i was maybe saying at the beginning is that i don't you know i I don't think it came across very coherently i do think that that was obviously a very clear theme that was you know that was part of the source material and was part of the story but it just didn't it didn't work for me the same way that for example you know we we discussed first cow last last month and that you know while i don't really like two guys walking in the woods you know kind of genre movies 
you know, the the ability to sort of talk about the beginning of capitalism and to talk about, you know, class structure and to like to do that in a very, very like, um, you know, very coherent and also just well done way, you know, to get across something that did it, that film did that very well, but taking on these yeah. political, political conversations or, you know, or an analysis was not handled, in my opinion, as effectively as I would assume Jack London did originally. I think I think that's fair. I think it it, it feels slightly it, like I've definitely latched onto things and found it interesting, and I think I think it's there. But I think I think you're onto something there, and the, the way it's the way it's presented and the characters it's presented to it's maybe just a little bit too amorphous a point it's trying to make. Really, um, there's not necessarily one thing you can hook it on. Um, so no, I think that, that that's fair criticism. I think that's I think that's a fair point. But it is beautiful, and so we, so I, I, I will watch again, um, just for you know the sixteen millimeter lushness, as we say. Um, and it is, it is a, it is um available to watch across cinemas. I bet it looked stunning in a cinema. So Martin Eden, uh, check it out if you'd like. So the next film we're going to review is Deerskin, a French film by the director Quentin Dupieux. Um, and it is, it's, been, it's out in cinemas right now. It stars Jean Dujardin and Adèle Hanel, um, two very uh, famous uh, French, um, French actors. And um, how do you describe this film? I think I read somewhere in the New York Times that it's a fetish comedy, and I think that's probably it's kind of a fetish horror <laughs> comedy. Um, and uh, yeah, I just it, it, it's it's a so guy who seems to have been divorced and arrives at a very um, countryside, looks like kind of Alpine or Pyrenees hotel in the middle of France. Um, and uh, yeah, he seems to have bought a, um, a bought a. a deerskin jacket that he soon becomes obsessed with and also has a um, a videotape recorder and he starts to make a film with it and it really goes into yeah he becomes more and more obsessed with um, deerskin and uh, all those all the things that you know his sort of purports on his personality he does meet a lovely um, woman bartender Adele Anel uh, played by Adele Anel and uh, she is a, a want-to-be um, um, a editor, and uh, they they collaborate together on the making of this film that somehow involves taking jackets off of other people through any way possible. And um, they, yeah, there's a large, uh, huge saw as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like, in order to not spoil too much more about this film, what did you both think of it? Um, so... If I'm not mistaken, uh, Quentin Dupieux also directed the film Rubber. If mm -hmm. you guys have heard of it, it's the it's a horror comedy where a tire goes on like a murder murderous <laughs> rampage. It, I I know of the film. I've not seen yeah. it. It sounds like a film that the director of this film would make. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think so. I broadly enjoyed this film. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the criticism uh, criticisms that I have um, before moving on to the things that I enjoyed. But um, I think with horror comedies of this type, what is usually 
typical is that for lack of a better word, there's like a gimmick and then that gimmick gets exploited uh, like for all of its possible comedic potential, such as with rubber, right? Where you have you have a very simple idea of a rubber goes on a murderous rampage and then this idea just escalates throughout uh, the duration of, of the film. With, with Deerskin, what I... Um, the one thing I disliked is that I felt like it had like seven different gimmicks, right? So it has the deer skin motif, but then it also has the jacket motif. So why is the jacket the only sentient deer skin item of, <laughs> of all of the deer skin items that he has? Um, because because he talks to the jacket, right? And the jacket is, wants to. This is the most. I honestly think some of these things that we're going to end up talking about. This is the most unhinged film that we've covered in some time. Yeah. The fact that it's got Betty saying, "Why is the jacket the only sentient deer skin item?" I just what phrases I was not expecting to hear. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, it's a good point. It's a good point, Betty. <laughs> really, yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Like, you know, were they all gonna start talking? Yeah. So, um, just watch this film just just to see why that sentence made sense. Um, <laughs> so, because because the main character uh, develops an obsession with with deerskin items, but he also develops a particular obsession with his jacket, and he sort of lends a voice to the jacket, and he believes that it can speak to him, and that the jacket wants to essentially genocide all other jackets in the world right um and so i feel like there there's there's so much stuff that Sorry. happens Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm just starting to get genocide all other jackets yeah. it's just it's just a bit because the thing is you're 100 percent accurate that's exactly what it is you should have done the intro betty because so you really have this film down like yeah <laughs> But I feel like so the main character basically develops like all of these obsessions, but they are they're all kind of disparate. Like he buys a camcorder and then he wants to record stuff, including the jacket. Um, but he also wants to buy a bunch of deerskin items. He also wants to um, murder all jackets. He uh, so it's kind of I feel like it would have been better if one of these concepts was taken and then followed through to its maximum instead of having a bunch of quirky concepts that sort of, you know, that, that are all handled very consistently, but I don't feel like uh, the full potential of each one of them was really, um, was really as highlighted as much as it could have been. Um, that being said, the things that I did like about it for, uh, for starters was I felt like this was directed extremely well and that every shot was made very thoughtfully and um, taken advantage of like maximally. I, I think that the film is very tight. I feel like it's very inc like incredibly creative um, if you couldn't glean that from what I just described. But uh, at the same time, you know, I, I feel like it just suffers a little bit from, you know, being essentially just not being focused enough because a lot of these ideas, I think, could be both incredibly funny and incredibly scary, you know, taken on their own. But it kind of tries to combine them into into 
I, I don't know. Something that isn't as memorable as it could have been, I think, if if it kind of if it had gone more with sort of the rubber route of sort of being like, here is this ridiculous idea, this one ridiculous idea that we're gonna make be as ridiculous as possible by the time that the film ends. I, I, that's, I can see that. I can see that being fair enough. Um, I think it, this is one of these films where it, it's just, to as we've kind of had with a bit of a laugh here, it's just the hardest film to describe without making it sound like it's just the most incomprehensible nonsense. But it does, it does hang together. Um, I did it. I, 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 I rather enjoyed this. Um, I, I think I agree with Betty in the sense that I would have maybe liked one of because yeah, you're right. It does have several gimmicks, um, or you know, several hooks, and maybe if it had picked one and then pushed it to its absolute most absurd extreme, I think that probably would have um, maybe made it more memorable, perhaps. Um, but there are so many things going on here that are um really very darkly funny i think the line that sticks in my head you know every so often like a line pops up in the middle of a film when you're like oh, i'm gonna remember that one the one for me was when he's talking about his film inverted commas to um adele and Elle's character and he says you can't make sense of it now but it rocks and it's mm. like that. that's kind of how i feel about this this film i i got a lot out of it yeah. i had a lot of fun with it it doesn't make a lot of sense um, you know, it's it's interesting in like how maybe looks at kind of obsession, but I didn't really mm-hmm. find a whole lot to to hook on to. I think I'm I'm gonna agree with Betty and Ty about it being very well directed. I think there's a lot of there's actually quite a lot. I think for a film that's so absurd and ridiculous, there's actually quite a lot of good um subtle stuff going on. You know, the, like just like when he chooses to just use like a slight dutch angle when like you know mm-hmm. something strange is going on when you know and then there's a couple of different scenes where he goes to this bar that adele hanel works at and he's the only customer there and then just the way that one walk back from that is contrasted with a different walk back you know and like what each represent in terms of kind of like jean dujardin's character's trajectory like this kind of like this slightly sort of like mental descent that he he seems to be going in on um there were points where in his quest after, should we say, I, I laughed out loud. I did, because it was just so kind of absurdly, comically bleak and horrific. It, it, it was a, it was an interesting film to watch, um, and it's an interesting film to watch and see how you react to it, I think. Um, I got a lot out of it. I, I kind of enjoyed its um absurdity it reminded and in these sort of absurd comedies I, I i think i feel like i click with them uh quite well it's also pretty brisk is the other thing i mean it's only about an hour and a quarter long i think or something so it's not one of it, so in terms of these multiple games i wouldn't say it wears them out like it doesn't um you know you don't get or certainly i didn't get tired of it um and i think the performances are are pretty good jean dujardin's performance in particular is great like uh, it's it's very deadpan it's very serious and it's um it's pitched perfectly for i think the 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 very strange and specific tone that this film is going for yeah i mean i i liked i 
you know, when, when I finished seeing that, finished seeing the film, I was like, what a bizarre little film. I mean, I definitely thought about it being kind of a almost in between a short film and a feature film. It didn't feel like, you know, a very, very long film and it didn't need to be, um, you know, and as a Frank, a, like self-professed Francophile love French film, we don't do enough French film. And the last one, I think, was about the death of the book industry or something and bored me to death. But this one is like... The sense of place in this film, I mean, as someone who's kind of traveled around very small towns and, you know, like what, traveling the Tour de France, there's something like I like like the little cinema and like the, there's there's all and the palette. Again, it almost felt like France for Scotland because it was, you know, in the Alps or Pyrenees, like I said, somewhere it's like it's a small town and it's very kind of the palette almost feels so gray and um, it really works with the suede obsession and all of these kinds of elements together, like you said, performances. It all just works really well together. I'm not a fetish horror comedy fan at all, but I, you know, I quite enjoyed every aspect of that and it kept me going and made me think a lot about, you know, um, Coen Brothers or even, you know, David Lynch, but in its own way. So it wasn't just kind of mimicking that, you know, those those kind of typical Barton Fink. I'm just, you know, like Barton Fink comes to mind. Um, But um, but the other thing is that it's certainly, you know, one film I didn't like, and I believe it was um, a couple of us who didn't like Black Bear, which was about this process of filmmaking. And it annoyed me so much because it didn't make any sense. I think there's 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 something about filmmaking here and the obsession of filmmaking and also just kind of that process that works for me. And, you know, we always talk about these films about films and about filmmaking and stuff like that. And this just takes it in a very amusing, um, you know, like take that isn't such sort of like, oh, it's a complicated, you know, misnarrative, you know, change up, which Black Bear tried very, you know, like effectively to confuse us all. So I, I you know, I, I appreciate that this has that, you know, that commentary about filmmaking in a new way. And I think this worked really well. It's interesting you bring up that type of film, actually, because, um, of course, Jean Dujardin's probably still best known for The Artist, which is the, right. which is the film that has often sparked <laughs> And my, we're not allowed my, to talk my, about yeah, it. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah, we're not. Or more accurately, I'm not allowed to talk about it. Otherwise, <laughs> the, otherwise this show would be like three hours long. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, no, it's interesting. In terms of if we're going to choose like films about making films, then of the Jean Dujardin subgenre of that, I will take this one above the artist every day of the week. Let's put it that way. Um, I we, we also so I would also like to talk about Adele and Elle's performance um, that I believe we all really enjoyed. Uh, I wanted to say that I really, so Adele Annell's character, I think her name is Denise. So she is an amateur, she's an amateur video editor um, who actually mostly works as a bartender. Um, and Jean, uh, Jean Dujardin's character sort of ropes her into editing his, his footage. But the way her character develops throughout the film is really interesting in the sense that he initially manipulates her into doing it but over the course of the film she she kind of takes the reins of of the situation um and it's sort of revealed that you know she's a bit more savvy than is initially implied in the film and i feel like that subtle but very effective switch without 
uh, changing the character's personality all that much while still being very convincing was honestly very, very masterfully executed by Adele Anel, I think. Um, I, I think, you know, because uh, Jean Dujardin's character kind of stays the same throughout the film, he does get a bit more unhinged as time goes on. Well, significantly more unhinged, but her character in, in such a short span of time does change considerably, um, or rather more things are revealed about her character. Um, and I feel like the way that Delanelle pulled it off uh, was very, very, it was very subtle. It was done with a lot of finesse, but it, it contributed so much to, to making the film feel, you know, convincing in spite of, of the absurdity, right? And I feel like, I think, I think she's slowly shaping up to be, you know, one of my favorite European actresses at, at the moment. I think um, it also kind of shows her range quite well, actually. I mean, this film has taken so long to come out that I think this played at the same... I could I could have this wrong, but I think the dates are right. I think this played at the same Cannes Film Festival as Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, right. Yeah, it's just like, like Portrait of a Lady on Fire came out very quick, and then this was originally meant to come out early 2020, and it's just been delayed ever since. But it's just interesting, like, like you know, came out where you know, went on the festival circuit at the same same sort of time and they're just they're they're very different performances. It shows how skilled she she is, I think. Well we agree I agree completely. And um I we couldn't say yeah, I mean as we, we were laughing, it's a very it it is a, a bizarre and um uh, absurdist film that uh you know if that's if that's something you'd like to check out, uh we highly recommend. So on so this month, uh, Jim sat down with uh, Ben Chirac and Al Amir Al Masri from the new Scottish film Limbo. Uh, it's a quite great film. We uh, reviewed it and uh, talked about it in depth with the Glasgow at uh, our Glasgow Film Festival special. But it's coming out on the thirtieth of July in um, in theaters across the UK. Um, a really, really great film. Really highly recommend it. It's something that you know. Hopefully, Cinescapes will look at in the future. But um, Jim, yes, yeah, sat, sat down with um with the with Ben Chirac, the director, Amir Al Masri, who plays the main character. And here's a little bit from that. Hello, both. Thank you for talking to me. Hi, Jim. I'm just going to jump straight into it and say um thank you for the film. I thought it was excellent. Uh, I saw it at Glasgow Film Festival, and it's one of my favourite of the last last year or so so congratulations to both of you um thank you i want to start off so i've got questions for both of you but ben i wanted to start off by asking you how you came up with the way you were going to develop the tone as the film progressed because i think the way the tone is balanced between uh drama and emotional parts and comedy is for me, probably the biggest strength of the film. There's ways that both of you in your roles have done a lot to help that, but I, I feel like the tone develops as the film goes on. It gets it gets really quite bleak at points, and I was wondering, in terms of the story you wanted to tell, how did you decide you wanted that to develop? Because it, it's very much not one note. It does develop as it goes over, and I was wondering how you approach that. I mean, I think, you know, I think one of the, the ways to sort of strike that balance is that it was kind of looking at 
you know, first of all, looking at, at the humor more as, as something that was an undertone of humor. So that kind of deadpan absurdist style is a lot of that's created from the, you know, the way we're lensing the scenes, the composition, the use of color. Um, uh, and, you know, and I think it's, it's really kind of looking at every single tool available um, and making sure that we're constantly kind of balancing the tone of the film and, um, you, you know, and, and going, you know, we, we had a great rehearsal period with the actors as well. So even kind of hearing the words out loud for the first time and then kind of gauging those performances and working with um, a mere, you know, a particular relationship between Omar and Farhad. Um, and, and then it's so throughout the production, you know, sometimes there would be things for example, a, a hat that's too colorful in the frame and that sort of shifting over to, to being too playful. So it'd be a case of taking that hat out and swapping it for something else. Um, and then, yeah, as the kind of production progresses, it's like spending a lot of time in the, in the edit, looking at how we can balance the tone of the edit, looking at how we can use the sound design to balance the tone, looking at how we can use the score to do that. Um, and then obviously the time spent in this, screenwriting as well to sort of put humor in the beginning and that's an undertone of humor but there's also the, all this constant sort of like undertone of drama even when yeah. there's the funnier scenes so it's 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 a real it's an effort and it took take a lot of work and it's really kind of breaking I think the film down into all of its elements and and kind of making use of all of those elements in balancing the tone Amir, on a, a, a similar note, I want to ask ask you because like Ben's spoken there about kind of like using all the tools at your disposal to balance the tone. I was wondering how you found approaching your performance because one of the other things that struck me about the film is the variety of shots that we get of you. And you know, there's wide shots, there's medium shots, there's these very intense close-ups, and it kind of felt like in terms of portraying emotion, you kind of had nowhere to hide in a lot of these shots. Um, I was just wondering how you approached that. Did, did like did you talk with Ben about the type of shot and what he was looking for from that and what you were wanting to get across and just how did that affect how you approached your performance? That that variety and the you know the very careful balancing that Ben's spoken about. Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked that question because because uh, uh, you know I, I had seen Picadero. Uh, Ben's previous film and I had known about the, the wide shots and the very very close close-ups and stuff so um, we had a constant dialogue Ben and I on set and um, we were lucky enough that we had the, the rehearsals to kind of choreograph the movements but in terms of the, the emotive expressions uh, when you have a camera that close to you uh, sometimes it's hard to gauge how big you are and we had a kind of a code word uh, that kind of came out of just a joke. So, so yeah, we had we had a we had a lovely like uh, kind of working language. Ben and I on set. So, you know, I, I had seen Picadero. I, I had known, um, you know, about his what you know his style of filmmaking, um, which I really really was really excited about. You know, being being a part of. Um, so as well as having the, the choreographed movements, you know. It's really hard to know how how close that close up is. So uh, there was one point where where Ben was like, you know, I want you to literally just give me nothing. Think what you're thinking, but give me nothing. I said, give you nothing, like Buster Keaton. And so Buster Keaton became a code 
code word, code language between us. So we would uh, we would constantly just be like, is this a bus to take? Yeah, we're going to go bus to take. <laughs> um, and that was useful. That was useful because it's all there. You know, when you're feeling and when you're in the, the character's shoes, it's all there. So sometimes it's just, it's just, you, I felt comfortable knowing that there was someone there that knew exactly what he wanted from that take. Um, so I just let go. One thing I want to ask you both about was also just to finish off is kind of your thoughts on filming in that landscape. Because um, one thing I find very interesting about the film, particularly um, for a Scottish filmmaker, is that landscape, um, you know, Scotland is romanticised quite a lot and it's really not here, uh, in my view. Like it, It's made to look like quite a a very harsh, lonely place. And I'm just wondering, is that... Is that part of the reason for setting? I mean, obviously, there's a certain amount of truth in kind of where it's set, but is that also part of the reason why you set it where it was to kind of get across that feeling of isolation? Maybe go against that typical image a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that that at some point in the creative process, this island, for me, you know, it became this 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 metaphor for for purgatory. So then it became when we were location scouting, we were looking for purgatory um, rather than a Scottish island. Um, and uh, it's, not, it's and not good on the tourist board. And I, you know, and I ended up writing um, the, the script in part on on Uist, um, because I wanted to to travel to a remote Scottish island to to you know to really try and create that world and. Um, and found that th- this purgatory could be found on us. And I think to be fair to us, you know, it, you know, I don't think it's fair to say that it, it was really like purgatory, but with stitching together the right images, um, we could create this feeling of purgatory um, o- on the island. And yeah, we ended up, you know, location scouting all over Scotland to try and find somewhere that could replicate this, that was easier to shoot because you know, it's very challenging to go out um, logistically and and in many other ways to shoot on used. And we couldn't find anywhere that that had that sort of same kind of purgatorial feeling, that kind of uniqueness that used had. Um, So, you know, in in a way, it kind of ended up being, you know, written into into the screenplay. I'll finish up saying I really appreciate the lines about sumac because I have gone looking for sumac in British supermarkets and it is impossible (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so that that had a proper rig of truth even for me that one that was, yeah. and that's where i found it there you go. oh yeah <laughs> there you go <laughs> all right um i'll finish up there thank you both um it's an excellent film i wish it all the all the success and same to you i think it's excellent so thank you for talking to me thanks jim great talking to you cheers thank you So the final film we're going to review is Riders of Justice, which is out on the 23rd of July. And Jim, tell us about this film. So the probably the main draw for this is Mads Mikkelsen in a beard, um, if you look <laughs> at any of the stills. Uh, it's not like you've seen before, but it's a very, it's a very interesting, entertaining sort of crime it's another one. It's another it's sort of blackly comedic, um, mm-hmm. but it, you know, it's not 
basically it's not I, I I struggle to call it a comedy as such right but it's just it's, it's not taking itself too seriously um and basically what we open with is um various things that we'll get to in a minute that kind of like frame this story but essentially what the inciting incident in the film is a massive train crash uh, and one of our main characters who is uh sort of a statistician and looks at probabilities and things and we see him in the opening of the film this is um Otto who is trying to present this algorithm that predicts the future right there is no such thing as coincidence and he is on the train when it crashes but he sees somebody get off um just before the crash happens and dump uh basically a full drink and most of a sandwich and he becomes convinced that somebody is responsible for this, is responsible for this incident where a freight train crashed into it. And, you know, the fact that they, they alight upon the fact that the Riders of Justice, the title, it was basically orchestrated by this group because one of the people who dies in the crash is somebody who was due to testify against them. So there's lots of people wrapped up in this, including um, Marcus, played by Mads Mikkelsen, who's this very kind of, very... Um, stern soldier who's come back from deployment and his wife was also killed in the crash um his daughter matilda was not but basically there's a lot of coincidences that led to them being on the train right she had her bike stolen so her mother needed to pick her up but her mother's car wouldn't start so they end up on the train and there you know so there's a lot of stuff to do about uh coincidences fate and how they view that but ostensibly a group of the four of them of marcus otto Eamon Thaler, uh, another programmer, and then um, Leonard, they basically go out on a quest to try and find who's responsible to get to the bottom of this. Who caused this train crash? It couldn't have been a coincidence. It couldn't have just been unfortunate. Who's responsible? Um, And then, basically, we just see these characters bounce off each other as they go on this quest to try and find some sort of responsibility for this. Well, after my Cinescape's train spotting event, I'm... I'm fairly confident as well that there there are no coincidences in this world i mean it just it's it's too it's too impossible um but yeah i i actually um i enjoyed this film and i didn't know what what to expect you know like the beginning i think i I think i was expecting something more serious and then at some point it kind of just turns into this like sort of caper funny movie and yet you have this like very powerful like you know mads mickelson character as well you know he's just a force he's a a very like you said big uh, actor with beard you know very attractive gentleman um and uh it's it it's funny it's amusing it's also about you know like a group of people um you know working together and it's building this community and so i don't know what else to say except you know like i enjoyed it It, you know it was um it, it, it took an unexpected turn it's it's very interesting it's really well well put together all together so like i it kept me kept me just watching the the story was good well written well performed um you know not taking itself too seriously and um and a a good time at the cinema yeah i think um i think the thing that i particularly enjoyed about it is if you look at the if you look at the, 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 you know, if you were to go and look at kind of like a two sentence summary of what the film is about, it's it it reads a little bit like a sort of a one of these films that like Liam Neeson has been in in the past yeah. like fifteen years or so. You know, this sort of like this revenge action film, and it's I think I can't remember what review it was, 
Um, but one said, it, rather than it being a revenge film, it's more about, it's more like a film about revenge, right? Which sounds like a very sort of like, you know, uh, very specific difference. But I think it kind of, it captures it quite well because on the face of it, this film plays out very, would, would in different hands or with a different person looking at that plot synopsis, um, play out in very predictable fashion you know it's kind of like you know it's it's meant to be this kind of like revenge catharsis thing the sort of thing that makes you go well you know um i don't know about this in certain circumstances um which is something that i find quite funny actually with the liam neeson taken films i don't, I don't know how many of them you've seen right <laughs> seen but taken like <laughs> taken two is kind of like basically the people that he kills in the first one <laughs> Like the, like the impact it has on their people back home. It's just interesting. It reminds me of... I only found this out recently. There's a cutaway gag in Austin Powers <laughs> where like a henchman is killed and then it goes on this big five-minute tangent about like the henchman's family finding out on the phone and crying <laughs> that there'll be a funeral and all this sort of thing. I found out apparently that wasn't in the American theatrical cut. Like Americans oh, really? don't know. So, yeah, anyway. But anyway, the point, I'm, the point I'm making is... These films, right? They've been they've been the subject of like pastiche before. They've been the subject of this sort of thing, and like some of these films that Liam Neeson has been in, like the Taken films, they become parodies of themselves, right? Yeah. So this film, to look at the summary, it could very well end up like one of those films. That's how you maybe expect it to play out if you're not expecting that kind of like that very dark ironic twist that i think um you see in a lot of kind of like scandinavian black comedy like it's got a bit of a joe nesbo feel to it this sort of thing mm. um and it does it it becomes very much more about like why are these characters reacting this way? why does there have to be a reason behind behind it um and it goes some interesting and quite amusing places it also has quite a lot of um weight behind it i think when you once you start to dive a little bit more into marcus mad mads mickelson's character i think there's um there's some really really interesting stuff going on and i think it's another it's another good example of his performance like one another film that we reviewed on the show quite some time ago and is out um now is another round and yeah. you know mads mickelson is is somebody i've got a lot of a lot of time for as an actor um and i think his performance is excellent in this but the the ensemble around him is right. also really great it's very much an ensemble film like mads mickelson is the known face he's certainly the known face to um sort of english-speaking audiences at least but there's a lot going on in this film and i think i i enjoyed it a lot and the way that it kind of like it just you know it just kind of like puts its tongue in its cheek and kind of nods at some of the conventions of this type of film and yeah. how it kind of unpicks them a little bit in terms of how the characters react to some of this stuff. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I got a lot out of it. Yeah, it's really hard to, to to get that tone right. I mean, I think we talked about The Columnist a couple months ago, and that just didn't seem to any of us to, to really work for like a revenge film. And, you know, and it was, you know, it was, it was trying to be funny, but it wasn't. And I think that the be able to kind of jump from serious, more in-depth sort of conversation around the, you know, I mean, there was a serious loss that happened and mm. grief, you know, involved in this, in this, um, in this storyline in this film. Um, and yet be able to have that kind of ensemble character caper sort of, you know, like, and, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, deaths and, you know, like shootings and, you know, the, the, the stuff, you know, like the, the absurdist aspect of it. You know, I think we, we've talked about the, how some films have gotten in this in this in this uh, episode how some films really get the tone right and i think we this this one really gets the tone right just like 
Deerskin probably got the tone right and maybe Martin Eden didn't, you know. Um, but so so really, um, really enjoyable and um, and also very good. Yeah, I think you've had I, I actually think your your comparison there with the um, the columnist is actually quite a good one because I feels like they're both trying to tackle fairly serious things and they're trying to do it with a little bit of humor. But I felt there's there's something about Writers of Justice where it feels more sincere. You know, mm-hmm. I I think that there was something about the columnist. I think other films where they don't quite get this tone right, where it can feel a little bit cynical. It can feel maybe like somebody's been a bit bit of a smart arse or something, for want yeah, of a better yeah, phrase. Absolutely. Whereas this, it felt like, it felt like there was kind of more. Um, yes, we want to approach this with humor. We want to approach this with a bit like you know, like very thick layers of irony in a lot of cases. But there is you know there is real stuff to deal with here like you start to kind of like get a little bit of um you know marcus's experience as a soldier and the impact that has on him why he why he has this very stoic exterior and it, it weaves that stuff in and then there's also i think the character of i think it's emmenthal or like he gets some jibes about his weight and his reaction like that there are bits to it in how the characters react where it's like it's trying to deal with something very sincere it's actually trying to um you know, it's it's actually trying to be like vulnerable in a way, for want of a better mm-hmm. phrase. Like it's not it's not it's not a cynical film, um, and I think I appreciate that a lot. And I think that's why it probably gets the tone pretty much spot on. I think. Yeah, absolutely, and no coincidences in this world, according to writers <laughs> of justice and myself. Um, so yeah, it's out twenty third of July in the UK, and um, yeah, would definitely check it out. I we we think you should. Right, so that is um, our show. Uh, thank you to Betty for coming back, and hopefully you'll come back again. Uh, Betty, what's in store for you cinematically or in life uh, the next month? Uh, well, for the next month, um, I'm basically on summer break. I recently discovered that I'll be moving to Japan in October. Wow. wow. Uh, for a uh, research period, uh, research Japanese cinema. So I'm really excited about that, but that also means that you know the the rest of the summer is going to be spent uh, in in bureaucratic purgatory, you know, getting all the documents ready, applying for a student student accommodation, etc. So it's going to be exciting and stressful at the same time, but I'm pretty pretty hyped for that. Nice, absolutely, and we're actually um, scheduled to do a Japanese documentary. Um... A series coming up in October, so we'll have to share 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 that with you as well. So it's part of Centopia Doc. Yeah, um, no, that's really f- wonderful news, and congratulations! Excited to maybe we can get get do, have you come in on the show from Japan. We'll see. Yes, <laughs> a correspondent. <laughs> yes, exactly. Wonderful. Um, and Jim, how about yourself? Cinema. I suppose what I'm looking forward to is at the end of the month we should find out what's happening with uh, what's going to be playing at Edinburgh Film Festival. Um, yeah. which is coming back for, for August. Uh, there should be, I think there's there's some outdoor screens. I think they're going to be trying to do some um, cinema screens as well. So just waiting to see what happens with that and um, see what's screened there. Um, I think as we record this, by the time this goes out, it'll be, be done, but like can film festivals going on. So, you know, see what comes out with that and just keep an eye on it, like, and hope that we stay on the COVID straight and narrow so that we get to see some of these things sometime yeah. this century, you know? Um, yeah. 
Absolutely. I And you're right. I think the closing film was announced by the time we did the recording for Edinburgh International Film Festival. So hopefully it'll be, you know, popping out and the, their outdoor screening, which is by, in Queens Ferry as part of the year. Coast and Waters is is also it looks like it looks like a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I mean, I have yet to I honestly I've been so busy setting up this outdoor screenings and our own festival, Sun Escapes Festival, um, that I have not been in the cinema yet um, and was going to go to Fast and Furious. Uh, we were going to review, but I've yet to ever see a Fast and Furious film. So it probably would have confused me anyway. Um, but I'm I will be. I will be going to In the Heights. Um, that, that's my, that's my, my first film in, not a Sofia Coppola one this time. So I'm very excited, um, you know, for a musical to bring me back to the cinemas. And hopefully that will be the first of many. Um, and as I mentioned, just every month we're doing an outdoor screening across Scotland. So the next one is Under the Skin. Um, just a fantastic, if you've not seen that film, we'll also be showing it online as well. So that's kind of, it's one of the things about Cinescapes is to be a hybrid festival. And it's actually um, most likely all of them available in the US, Canada, Australia, and the UK. So it's this idea to like really celebrate Scottish film across the world. And um so yeah, so stay tuned for that. 31st of July, again, cinescapes.co.uk to follow us and our tour. And um, we really um, thank you, thank everybody for joining us on this um, July edition, and we'll see you in August. Um, so thanks again.